Hello, this is Jim Walsh, and this is my podcast called On Eagle's Wings. You know, there seems to be a desire within all of life to return home, to go back to where it all began. We see that in animals and we see that in people. As we get older, we think about the place where we grew up if we've moved away and what it would be like to go back and to see those people and see that place again. That's also a desire spiritually that we have to go home. And so today we have a copy of a lesson about going home and it's called Where Christ Is. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 through 21, Jesus here is talking about the importance of prioritizing our life and providing the right type of motivation when he said in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is reminding us that as his disciples, our priority should be spiritual things and not things of the world. So we're not to be consumed with our concerns about money or fame or power or popularity or prestige. Those are things that people of the world are concerned with. Our priorities are to be those spiritual things, laying up for ourselves, as verse 20 says, treasures in heaven. It's hard to go against those things that you've prioritized. If you make that mental list and you say, this is the thing that's most important to me, then it is going to affect every aspect of your life. Your treasure then is your motivation. If you're desiring to lay up treasures in heaven, then that is going to be your motivation. That's going to be your determination. That's going to be the direction that you will be heading in. If your treasures are on the earth, then you're going to always be thinking of those earthly things that end up in corruption and disrupt your opportunity to remain a faithful child of God. Peter reminds us in thinking about that concept of heaven that we're to focus on where Jesus is. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So we are to motivate ourselves to direct and focus our thoughts, our intents, our motivation, our actions on those things in heaven because that's where Jesus is. So we want to think about that tonight. We want to think about where Christ is. He stands as our example, not only for where we can go, but for how we should live. And the first thing we want to think about is the fact that he was born exactly the way that we are born. He was born here on earth. Luke chapter 1 and in verse 34... Luke chapter 1 and in verse 34, 
And, and then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So we have here the account where the angel has come to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a child. Later in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 4 and in verse 4, Paul talks about this in connection with the promises that were made unto Abraham. And how it was in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So he came into this world the way we do, by being born through a woman. And we find that he lived a life exactly as we live, with the same thoughts, with the same concerns that we have. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, in talking about him, in talking about the, the unique nature of him, it also talks about the fact, it says, For verily he took not in him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, to, uh, to assist, to help them that are tempted. You know, this morning we talked about being like Jesus and how it is that we can be like Jesus. Well, the scriptures also tell us he is like us. There are things that we share with him. He understands the concerns of life. He understands being tempted, although he did not give in to temptation. And we also note that he grew up just the way we grow. He went through childhood and he grew up to be a man. Luke chapter two and in verse 52, it simply says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he continued to grow up. He grew up in a household where he had a mother and he had a father and he had brothers and sisters. He lived life like we live life. But in doing so, his testimony, his life was a testimony to doing good. In fact, when Peter is sent to reveal the gospel to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he summarizes the life of Jesus. He summarizes his teaching. In effect, he summarizes the accounts that are found in the four gospels by saying in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Boy, how we need Jesus today to focus on someone that in summarizing them went about doing good. You know, there are so many people that we can point to that are, are wonderful examples. And especially in, in times of turmoil, people are looking for examples of individuals and how they live their life and if we could you know focus on the things they said or focus on the things they did but no matter what individual you put forth no matter how great that individual was whether they were a Nobel Prize winner or whether they were someone that everyone in humanity agrees was a really good person they still weren't perfect they still had sins 
They still needed to be redeemed and they still could not redeem themselves and they still stand in judgment, excuse me, by God. The only one that you can say lived a perfect life and in everything they did, they did good is Jesus. And so that's why in a very simple way, Peter could say he went about doing good. His teaching, his actions, the miracles, his death on the cross. Everything about Jesus is designed to reveal that concept of good. He taught that which is good. God's word in the parable of the sower. He talked about the sowing of the seed. And in Matthew 13 verse 37 he said, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So that which he sowed, the things that he taught, the words that he spoke, were those things that were the words of God and they were thus demonstrated to be good. In John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. We read here after Jesus has said that I and my father are one, that the, the Jewish leaders took up stones to stone him. And so he asked them in John 10 verse 32, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we stone thee not. But for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. So in effect they were saying, we're not looking at the good works you did. So they admitted that there were good things that he did. In effect then, like a lot of people, even people today, they ignore the good because they want to focus on what they perceive to be wrong because that gives them license to do what they really want to do. They really wanted to condemn Jesus. Now they finally believe they had an opportunity to do that. So they couldn't look at any of the other things because they said those things in effect were good. In John chapter 18, when they finally had taken Jesus and brought him before Pilate, in verse 38 of John 18, Pilate said, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said, I find no fault. I find in him no fault at all. So here is a man who is trying to quell the crowd. And what he in effect says is this man that you've brought forth, this man that you want condemned, it is my judgment that he is innocent. His actions, healing the sick, healing the diseased, counseling faithfulness, demonstrating compassion, directing men unto God, everything he did was good. His sacrifice on the cross, his death was for good, for the salvation of men's souls. He is resurrected and he is now ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Luke is writing and he says of him to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then it mentions in verse 9 when he had spoken these things while they beheld he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And the two men that were standing there, the two angels said in verse 11, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? So we find that Jesus was before his apostles. He commissioned them to preach the gospel. And then they were eyewitnesses to his being ascended up into heaven. All of this is simply a summary in looking at his life and his teaching and his sacrifice on the cross. Everything about him is a testimony to his doing good. 
And so as Peter said, and in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and as the angels mentioned here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus now is in heaven. And that formed part of the basis for Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost. To demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah because he being in heaven is now on the throne of David. David's throne is not in Jerusalem. David's throne is in heaven. Jesus is not coming back to reign in a physical city on earth. Jesus now reigns. He's not giving up his reigning in heaven to simply come reign on earth. And so Peter made that point in Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. For this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. You know, what a wonderful message that Peter provides for us as he is inspired by God's spirit. Kingdoms of men come and go. They're defeated by greater kingdoms. We see that even in the Old Testament. We see uh, the kingdom of Israel being destroyed by the Samaritans. We see the kingdom of Judah being destroyed by the Babylonians. We see the Babylonians destroyed by the Persians. We see the Persians destroyed by the Greeks. We see the Greeks destroyed by the Romans. We see the Romans destroyed by the barbarians and so forth in history. Every time some supposed great empire rises, and it's only decades or, or brief centuries later that it is destroyed. And so if we're depending on a physical throne, Jerusalem long ago succumbed to the, the barbarous hordes, whichever group they were, whichever name they had, that came and totally destroyed that city. Because the throne of David was not left there. The throne of David is in heaven. And so God's promise was he would say to that one who is his son, you're going to sit on my right hand. Peter on the day of Pentecost demonstrates the point that Jesus is seated on the throne. That throne is in heaven. He is king of kings and lord of lords upon a heavenly throne. He is at the right hand of the father. But the position of glory and honor and respect. He also continues as our high priest. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 23 and 24. It says it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not an end into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So just as the true temple of God is not on earth, the true temple is in heaven. Jesus is both on the throne and Jesus, because he is the branch, he is both high priest and king. He 
is also fulfilling his role as high priest by taking his blood and placing it upon the true mercy seat in the holiest of holies in heaven that is not made with hands. And he will continue to be there forever. Again, in Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 20, wherefore the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's not going to give that role up. He's not going to give up the role of high priest and king. That means that he is both going to continue as high priest and king forever. We think of our life here and we recognize that our life is temporary, but heaven is eternal and his role therefore in heaven knows no end. We do not know when the last day is going to come. The disciples asked Jesus again in Acts chapter 1, Wilt God, uh, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter 1 verse 6. And Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. God has not revealed when the end is going to come. All we know is that our Savior, our King, our High Priest is in heaven and he continues there and his continuance there is going to be forever. What is he doing that he's now in heaven? Well, he is reigning as King. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 20 through 22. It says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So he is exercising his power as king and exercising his power continuing as high priest. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 19 through 22, it simply says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, I don't know why God is doing what he does. He has not revealed that to us. But one thing we can be thankful for is every generation has the same blessing, the same privilege to stand before the throne of God, to enter into that place, to have communion with him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Under the old covenant, it was only the high priest who could enter into the holiest of holies. But now he tells us that veil that separated them, that veil has been removed. We now can stand before the mercy seat. Each and every one of us can make our own petition unto our father because Jesus continues to reign as high priest. Jesus is also awaiting that day when he will call everyone forth. John chapter 5, he talks about his role in calling everyone forth with regard to judgment. John chapter 5, verses 28, excuse me, uh, beginning actually in verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, verse 28 says, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. 
They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You know, there are a lot of people in the religious world today that believe in this false idea of something called a rapture. That one day, half the people in the world, a third of the people in the world, two-thirds, some unknown number will be gone and others will be left behind. Some people will wake up and they won't find their loved one. They won't find their family. They won't find their friends. I've seen these things where, you know, they show images of, of cars just empty on the highway. Uh, businesses with the lights on and fans running, but nobody there. I remember seeing one with a milk truck and the milk was spilt on the back, but there's nobody there. And so there's this idea that when a particular time comes, there's just going to be some people leaving and some people staying. But we note that Jesus said all, everybody, the hour is coming. And he's not just talking about saying people who are living, I'm not going to talk to. It's only people in the graves. He says everybody. And those that are in the graves, whether they were good or whether they were bad, they're coming forth. Everybody's coming forth for judgment. Jesus reigns now. He's not waiting for some future point to reign. He reigns now. And the next event that we are to be thinking about in a spiritual sense is that judgment. And so the scriptures... His words are thus given to us as a warning about the power that he has and the power that he will use in bringing everyone at that time. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 28, in speaking in verse 27 about Jesus Christ that he called the hope of glory, he said in verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What was Paul saying? i tell you what I think Paul very simply was saying. Paul recognized that judgment was coming. Paul didn't know when. But Paul said the goal then of preaching the gospel is so that everyone can have an opportunity to repent and obey so that we won't fear the judgment and we can be presented to Jesus as one who is faithful. How are we presented as one who is faithful? By our obedience to the gospel. Every person must stand before him. No one will be excluded. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 10, in talking about the concept of eating meats, Paul talked about not judging the weaker brother, not judging the individual who thought eating meat was wrong. Uh, let them have their belief and don't worry about it. Why? He said, verse 10, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and in verse 10 provides a, a similar understanding and thinking about judgment. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the yet done whether it be good or bad. I don't get to judge you. You don't get to judge me. What do we mean by that? That doesn't mean that I can't remind you if you've done something wrong according to God's word or that I can't encourage you. 
But what it simply means is I don't have the power or the right to condemn you. If you have sinned, I can, I can show you in the scriptures where you have sinned and I can remind you what it is you need to do. As Paul said, we warn people. But as far as that is concerned, I don't then get to say, well, you are now condemned and you're going to hell. That is in the realm of God. Everything you may be doing may indicate that. But God doesn't give me that authority. So all I can do is counsel you. I can warn you. I can encourage you. I can even beg you. But beyond that, I'm limited in anything that I can do with regard to your soul. And so we all are going to give an account for the things that we have done. I'm going to give an account for my life and you're going to give an account for your life. And that's why one of the verses we've been using a lot lately in 1 Peter chapter 2 is to remind us that Jesus gave us an example so that there's no excuse when I say, well, how should I live? And so Peter said in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. He's the only example provided for us. It is his power and his power only that was able to defeat death. It is his voice and his voice only that will call everyone forth from the grave. It is his verdict and his verdict only that, to, that can declare one to be faithful unto God. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. You can have a chorus of millions who will stand as a character witness for you. But if Jesus says no, it's no. And you can have the same chorus who will stand forth and petition God that you don't deserve heaven. Because of something you may have done to this person or that one. But if you've been a faithful child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. His is the only verdict that we have to be concerned about. His is the only judgment that will never be changed. And so we ask the question, in effect, that, that Jesus began with in looking at Matthew chapter 6 in thinking about verse 19 when he said, Lay up not up yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Is it with Jesus, or is it focused on things of the earth, things of the flesh, things of mankind? If it is with and focused on Jesus, then you'll be thinking about heavenly things and you'll be willing to follow God's word and submit unto that word so that you can be faithful in Jesus Christ. Peter said, Christ is in heaven. And Jesus said, we need to focus on heaven. And so we ask you the very simple question then, what are you doing? Are you focusing on where Jesus is? We hope that you are. And you begin that by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel is preached that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who came to this world, who died on the cross, who shed his blood for the remission of our sins. Then he was resurrected and he spent 40 days with his disciples, encouraging them, teaching them, and told them to go forth and preach that gospel message. What did they do? They preached that everybody who believed that Jesus is the Christ would confess him as such, repent of their sins, and be baptized for the remission of their sins, could have the atoning blood of Jesus Christ cleanse their souls spotless and free, be taken by Jesus himself, brought into his household, where we can have every expectation of life eternal. Once again, this is Jim Walsh. Thank you so very much for listening to my podcast today.